0: We are back in Romans this morning. We had an interesting time a couple weeks ago talking about predestination. Uh, it's a, whether we are called or selected and all those wonderful things, Arminianism versus Calvinism. I didn't tell you those two big words, but uh, that's what we were talking about. Uh, so if you're interested in that type of thing, go ahead and um, it's online. Go ahead and go back to it. And On Romans eight twenty-eight this morning. If God is for us, who can be against us? He who did not spare his own son but gave him up for us all, how will he not also along with along with him graciously give all give us all things? Who will bring any charge against those whom God has chosen? If God it is God who justifies, who then is the one who condemns? No one. No, in all these things, we are, more, uh, we are more than conquerors through Him who loves us. For I am convinced that neither death, nor life, nor angels, nor demons, neither the present, nor the future, nor any powers, n- neither height or death, uh, that neither anything else in all of creation will be able to separate us from the love of God that is in Christ Jesus our Lord. Now that is a great passage. That is a passage that we definitely hold on to as Christians and talk about it from time to time. Nothing can separate us from the love of God. So this morning I want to pick up on the, on the first part of this. Uh, the word that's used is, uh, Paul uses the word firstborn. That Jesus is the firstborn among many brothers and sisters. And this has confused many over the years uh, and, and who would like to take this this scripture, and take Christ and make him more mortal than what he is. Uh, Christ is fully God and fully human. And some people want to take out that fully God part and say partially God, or they want to say, well, we all become gods uh, in the end. And that is incorrect. That is not biblically correct. What's interesting is this verse isn't even really about Christ's birth. Uh, the word firstborn in the Greek is, is hardly about birth at all. It's, it's the word uh, uh, protoko, uh, tokos. Proto meaning primary or, or first. And tokos means to bring forth or to, li- to deliver. So it's not necessarily talking about birth. It's talking about the first one to bring forth or deliver. Christ is a protocoke. Uh, uh, yeah, you get it. Yeah. You can see the word. You pronounce it in your head. He's a prototype. That's what he is. And he comes through this life, and he comes through this life, sinlessness, you know, without sin. And he goes through death, and Christ comes through death, and he goes into glory. Christ becomes our leader as we follow him through the same process. This is what makes Christ the firstborn. Paul says the same thing in Colossians 1.18. He says, and he is the head of the body, the church. He is the beginning and the firstborn from among the dead, so that in everything he might have the supremacy. So we're talking about Christ going through this process the, as the first one, and that we can follow. Now Paul continues in, in chapter 8, verse 30. He says, and those he predestined he also called. So he, he draws us, he, he summons us, he invites us. And those he called, he justified. Meaning, he's made us righteous, right standing before God in his presence. I had a conversation last night uh, uh, with a person, and, and we were talking about uh, uh, the right standing before God and the whole concept of we can look at ourselves in two different ways. We can look at ourselves as full of sin. I'm a sinful person. Oh, I'm a terrible, sinful person. I sin every day. Oh, I'm a sinful person. Or we can look at ourselves as being saved by grace through faith. Yes, I'm a sinful person, but in God's eyes, I'm already glorified. I'm already the perfect person in God's eyes. Now that that makes me, so what that does is it makes me want to work on my sin so I can meet that expectation. Okay, So it's two different ways uh, of really looking for it. But we're right standing. We have that right standing before God in his presence. Uh, Think about the old, if you've studied any of the old Sumerian or the old Egyptian rulers, uh, you couldn't have a meeting with them without a 45-day ritual. It was a cleaning ritual. Literally, you shaved all the hair off your body. You perfumed yourself. You got the dirt of the street off of you for over a month here just to enter into the king's presence because they felt the ruler was a god but now we have the one true god and you know wow we get the same uh, same feeling we're not clean enough to go before that god but he justifies us he makes us clean he cleanses us so we can be in his presence so we can be in front of him his holiness is so powerful that without christ we would be in trouble We would be in complete trouble. And that's what cleanses us. And it says, Those he justified, he also glorified. Now, glorified means you get your heavenly body. We will be raptured at one point, or we're going to already go with him, depending on what happens first, you know, sooner or later. And we will be with him. We think we're in the last days. The last days are close. We don't know if they're 30 years, three years, or 300 years. We don't know. We see the signs. The temple needs to be rebuilt, and a few other things need to happen. Those things could happen very quickly, but we are right here. We will be glorified at some point. Now we have this—you uh, know—we'll have these amazing bodies and these amazing minds. But but one thing I noticed—we uh, always say, just like I have here—we will, as in future tense. And two weeks ago, we kind of talked about the whole future tense. Uh, past tense and uh, you know I notice that he uses past tense here Paul does because for God there is no past there is no present there is no future he sees it all he understands it all all at once so in God's eyes I am already glorified and that's what we need to hold on to that's what gives me the, the, the gumption. That's what gives me the, the power, that, which gives me the sense of going, I can do this. I can make it in this world because in God's eyes, I'm already in heaven with Him, which is a whole weird concept. If you're confused, go listen to the sermon two weeks ago, and you'll con- get confused more, and then come and talk to me, and we'll figure it all out, okay? But the tenses don't matter anymore. I'm sorry for the teachers out there, you know? They're going, wait a second, no, no, English, no. past tense, you know, present tense, future tense. No, for God, it doesn't matter. If you study redemption in the Bible, you'll find the scriptures that, that say redemption has already happened. And then you'll find scriptures that say redemption is going to happen. The reality is, it's both. Our salvation is now, and our salvation is later. Eternal life is now, but also later. Redemption is now, but also later. Salvation is now, but also later. The Spirit's work in us is now, and the Spirit's work is in us later. We have been saved, we are being saved, and we will be saved. That's what the Scriptures say. And then when Jesus returns, it's all completed. You know, so many times we kind of live our lives like we're waiting on these things. But as far as God's concerned, it is finished. It is a done deal. Like Jesus said on the cross, it is finished. The battle's already been won. So we can live in that. We can, we can uh, uh, you know, live our lives in a sense of going, hey, the battle's already won. You know, one of the studies that said that uh, for, for um, those that get into the uh, upper classes, you know, the, the, what they, they used to call them gifted classes. I'm not sure what they call them now in high school, AP or whatever, you know, the upper classes, the, the smart ones, you know. Um, but, uh, uh, you know, they say that one of the biggest things in those classes is the teacher already says, I know you can do this. And the student will live up to that most of the time. When the teacher says, I know you can do this, then the student already has that, that feeling of, okay, I'm going to learn this, I can do this, I can do this, versus coming into a class and going, okay, I know you guys are all dumb and let me teach you. Now teachers don't say that, okay? But you know the idea of, well, I've got the lower class or I'm just like everybody else and, or you get a teacher that's not really confident in the students, that makes a difference versus a teacher who says, you guys can get this, I know you can do this. You know, it's that coach that says, come on, we can, we can get better. That's the whole idea. When God, God is sitting there going, it's already finished, guys. We can do this together. I gave you the Spirit to help you. Come on. Instead, we kind of drag ourselves around going, well, I'm a Christian. It messes up, you know. Sorry, that southern came out of me, you know. Southern accent there, you know. Well, he goes on and says in verse 31 what then shall we say in response to these things? Well, what are these things? We got to go back and look at it. These things, 8-1, chapter 8, verse 1, no condemnation for those who are in Christ Jesus. Our response is, thank God, I don't have to put up with the hell of condemnation in my life. That's a great thing. 8.15, verse 15, the spirit you, you received does not make you slaves so that you live in fear again. And remember, we talked about slavery and the whole idea we've been released from that slavery. Don't hang around the plantation that you were just released from, that sin that you were just released from. And it goes on, it says, the spirit you received brought, you, brought about your adoption as sonship, and by him we cry, Abba, Father. What is, that? What is our response to that? Oh, man. Verse 18, I consider that our present sufferings are not worth comparing with the glory that will be revealed in us. So what is our response? Our response is knowing that, okay, I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to work hard on this one. I'm going I'm to go down this path. I know this path may be a difficult path, but I'm going to do it because my reward's not now. My reward's later. You know, with parenting, the reward doesn't come right now, does it? Oh, man. Brandon, come here. No, 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 no. No, no, no come here don't get mad we've talked about this four times already i repeated this four times the fourth time you finally got mad about it no 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 that's not acceptable if you listen to me the first time and do it then i don't have to say it three other times and i don't have to get upset and then you don't have to get upset you see my point maybe maybe not hopefully, when I do these things, over the, this will build up, and then he will be a great young man. He will know how to treat women. He's already accepted Jesus. That's the first thing. Amen. Praise the Lord. And then the next thing is to teach him how to be a man of God. I don't care what job he has. Yeah, I want him to have the best job in the world. You know, his first grade teachers already you know, totally gave him the engine. I mean, the kindergarten teacher gave him the engineering award. You know, he's got a mind for that kind of stuff. If he's a great engineer, I want him to be the greatest Christian engineer there ever was. But I don't care about his title. I I care about who he is. That's the most important. The reward is later. So when I live in my Christian life, oh man, this one's tough. I can't believe they treated me this way. I can't believe I had to put up with this. But my reward's not now. My reward is later. In the same way, verse 26, it says, in the same way, the Spirit helps us in our weaknesses. Now, I have a couple of weaknesses. How about you? you have any weaknesses out there? Should we list them out? Okay, maybe not. It goes on, it says, we do not know what we ought to pray for, but the Spirit himself intercedes for us through our wordless groans. So what do we have to say about these things? Paul says. Verse 28. And we know that in all all things, God works for the good of those who love him, who have been called according to his purpose. What is our response to that? If we've been called according to his purpose, we know it's going to work out for good. But man, it doesn't feel like it's going to work out for good. You know what, I, what I'm going through right now doesn't feel like it's going to work out for good. But I know that it works out for good, so I can hold on to that, and I can act, and I can be a godly man. You can be a godly woman when you know it works out for good. Verse 29, "...for those God foreknew, He also predestined to be conformed to the image of His Son, that He might be the firstborn among many brothers and sisters." And those He predestined, He also called. Those He called, He also justified. Those He justified, He also glorified. You see that? He already sees you as glorified in heaven. Amen to that. Amen to that. You know, He doesn't see the screwed up Alan down here. He sees the glorified island in heaven, and that's a wonderful thing. So I can try to live my life up to that type of thing. Verse 31, it says, What then shall we say in response to these things? If God is for us, who can be against us? Who could possibly succeed against you? Not because you're so great, even though you all are, okay? You're all great, okay? As our president would say, you're you're just great. You're great. You're great people. Got to say great like six times. I don't know. Not because you're so talented or you're so moral. It's just because God is for us. That's why somebody can't secede against you. God is for us. You're on God's team now, Have you ever been in the schoolyard pick? You know what I'm talking about, right? Two leaders get picked, and they get to pick the teams. You know, and, and you know, and some of us go, "Oh, I hated those. I was the last one." And some of us are like, "Oh yeah, I always got picked first." You know, and you know, but but you know, it goes along with that. Everyone is being picked, and you look at one team, and you're sitting there going, "I want to be on that team." I want to, oh, please, please, please pick me, pick me, pick me. I want to be on that team. And they come along and they pick you and you know that you're not giving any talent to the team. You know what I'm saying? You're just kind of riding the coattails. This team is awesome and I'm so happy I'm on it because I'm terrible, but I get to be on the great team. That's how it is with God. To be teamed up with God is like the last guy being picked. You really bring nothing. Nothing. And we come to that realization with God, you know, some of us feel like, well, you know, God is so lucky he picked me. God, I'm just so talented. God is lucky I'm on his side. Because imagine what I could do if I wasn't on God's side. I mean, that's how Paul was before, or that's how Saul was before he became Paul, right? Oh, man. We don't bring anything. It's like us, you know, having a conversation with Michelangelo and, You know, he's over there doing his painting, and I brought my crayons. And he's like, well, hey, Alan, pick up your crayons. Come help me. And we're like, really? He's like, yeah. That's how God is with us. God allows us into his process. And we're like, wow, I can't believe I'm being used in this. I got my crayons. You know, and God's all happy about it. But since God is for you, who can be against you? So, if God is for you, the attitude is, I'm going to win in this life. No matter what happens, I am going to win in this life and the life to come. I'm a winner. Sorry, had to. Never mind, okay. Oh, well, Paul says the same thing in Ephesians 6, and Peter says uh, something similar in 1 Peter 5, but Paul says this in Ephesians 6 uh, 10. Finally, be strong in the Lord and in his mighty power. Put on the full armor of God. Don't go out there and do it all by yourself. Don't go out there not ready to go. I mean, uh, my, you know, Brandon's playing t ball now, and, and, and it's fun to watch him out there because we we thought, no, he's not our coordinated son. He's not going to. And then all of a sudden, he's hitting the ball and, and catching and throwing really well. And we're like, how'd this happen? That did, you know, I, okay, get him in t ball, you know? But imagine him going out on the field without a catch, you know, without a, a mitt and without a bat. Is he going to hit the ball off the tee? Uh, let me just use my arm. How far is that ball going to go, you know? No, with God, it's the same thing. Put on the forearm of God, get ready to play the game so that you might take a stand against the devil's schemes. For our struggle is not against flesh and blood, but against the rulers, against the authorities against the powers of this dark world, and against spiritual forces of evil in the heavenly realms. Therefore, put on the full armor of God, so that when the day of evil comes, you may be able to stand your ground, and after you have done everything, to stand. Wow, that is great. Arm yourselves, the Apostle Paul says. Peter writes about this in 1 Peter 5 be be alert and a sober mind. Your enemy, the devil, prowls around like a roaring lion looking for someone to devour. And I should have put up that picture right then of Grayson with that lion, I mean, with the, the tiger right in front of him, you know, prowling around. Resist him, standing firm in the faith because you know that the family of believers throughout the world is undergoing the same kind of sufferings. So we have this invisible enemy that we need to be aware of. But we also have visible enemies. We have individuals that may be against you because you've accepted Jesus or you believe you're a nut job because, you know, you believe all that junk and, or you have groups or you even have whole governments. Whole governments that are against the followers of Christ. There's individuals in California... There's individuals even in our own town who are openly opposed to what we teach here. We need to be aware of that. Now, to go out and fight them? No. But to love them. To stay engaged in the conversation? But to stand your ground in a godly way. So that they don't succeed in minimizing us as Christians. So they don't just mock and walk away. Christians are easy targets. I mean, sometimes we deserve the criticism, don't we? I mean, in the, you know, right next to the town I grew up in, there's a church called South Main Baptist Church. A nice church, okay? I've been there to many concerts and, and different things, and, you know, crusades and stuff growing up, and, you know, different things like that. A nice church. Westboro Baptist Church from Florida is picketing them today. A Christian church in Florida is picketing another Christian church in, in, in the South of Maine Baptist Church. The pastor put out a letter. They, they don't even know why they're out there picketing against them. Christians are easy targets when we do junk like this. We can do some really dumb things that make us all look bad. There are some bigoted Christians out there, aren't they? There's some intolerant people in the church. now, We've got to be careful here. What's intolerant versus what the world says is intolerant is two different things. See, the world's definition of intolerance is, well, because you don't accept this lifestyle, or you don't accept this, or you don't accept that, then you must be a bigoted person. No, 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 no. I have a set of beliefs that goes against my set of beliefs. That's not bigoted, okay? But that's not intolerant. But now at the same time, we do have people that are intolerant. I mean, there's skin color issues and there's all sorts of things. Mean folks out there that are Christians. But that's not the end of the conversation. That's the beginning of the conversation to say, yeah, I I know you're opposed to Christianity, but let's have a conversation about this civilly. And how we act and how we respond in those those situations can either be pleasing to Christ or displeasing to Christ. You know, there's sometimes my son, when he reacts to something or does something, it pleases me or it displeases me. And he's having to learn which one is which as he grows up. We have the same idea with our Heavenly Father. We have to learn what pleases him and what displeases him. Now, in other parts of the world, enemy is not so visible or or not so invisible. Not subtle at all official government policy to say you can't talk about Christ, you can't carry that Bible, you can't bring that Bible into the country. I mean, if you carry a Bible around in North Korea, you're going to be taken away to a prison, one that's a lot like Auschwitz. okay? Uh, Labor camps and stuff like that. Did you know there's over 200,000 people in prison in North Korea for going to a church building? Like, In other words, just going to church. They arrest you and they put you into prison. 200,000 are they were out talking about Christ. I mean, that's bad enough, right? But think about Iraq and Syria and Afghanistan and other places, they're just beheading you as a Christian. It's not so subtle as it is in America. I mean, America, you know, the Christian on the sitcom is the idiot. you know what I mean? It's very subtle. Or you're just dismissed as kooky, you know, by the mainstream news. Uh, I, I think it was this last week. Uh, you know, Bernie Sanders, uh, ex-presidential candidate, said a guy who is a Christian who said that Jesus is the only way to heaven. That that guy did not deserve to be in our government. He's up for some position that Congress or you know Senate has to vote on or whatever, and he said he did not deserve to serve in our government because he had these extreme beliefs that Jesus was the only way to heaven and that was so intolerant that that man could not be in government. How wrong is that? Wow. Some of it's subtle, some of it's outright in our face. So this is why Peter is writing saying, don't forget about the rest of the Christians out there. However, the truth is in Romans 8 is just as true in North Korea as it is in North Dakota. The Bible is the true the Bible is true worldwide. So when we read the, where it says, if God is for us, who can be against us? I mean, think about this. The self-existent one, the creator, the all-powerful God, the only one that there is is for you. Wow. That's something our brothers and sisters need to hear around the world, isn't it? God is for you. Don't ever forget that. God is for you. He is working for you. He is working for you. Don't become discouraged when people come to you and tell you, you're an idiot for believing that. I can't believe you had those extreme views. You believe that junk? Man, you must have fell off your rocker. Don't let anyone discourage you from the belief that God is for you. You know, David wrote in Psalm 56, David was all by himself. He had been kidnapped by the Philistines. They took him to Gath, okay? Gath is not a friendly place. This is the same territory as the Gaza Strip today, okay? It was not a friendly place to Jews back then. It's not a friendly place to Jews now. David is in Gath, and, and you might remember the, the, you know, the hometown uh, to the guy who David killed as a teenager. You, you remember who I'm talking about? Goliath, the nine foot six guy or whatever it was. Uh, they wouldn't have forgotten that what David did. And he's being held there, and he writes uh, Psalms 56. It's a lamentation of a person who's being incarcerated. He says, Be merciful to me, O God, for my enemies are in hot pursuit. All day long they press their attack. My adversaries pursue me all day long, and their pride, many are mocking me. When I am afraid, I put my trust in you. In God, whose word I praise, in God I trust, and I am not afraid. What can mere morals do to me? All day long they twist my words, and all their schemes are for my ruin. They conspire, they lurk, they watch my steps, hoping to take my life because of their wickedness. Do not let them escape. In your anger, God, bring the nations down record my misery, list my tears on your scroll, and they are not, are they not in your record? Then my enemies will turn back when I call for help. By this, I will know that God is for me. See, a lot of times we lack calling out to God. We're like, oh, I hope God will just solve this problem. We'll talk to God about that problem. Take it to God. You know, go to God and say, man, you know, you solve this. People will know that you are for me. He goes on and says, in God whose word I praise, in the Lord whose word I praise, in God I trust and not afraid. What can man do to me? I am under vows to you, my God. I will present my thank offerings to you. For you have delivered me from death and my feet from stumbling that I may walk before God in the light of life. God is for us. You need to understand that. And he's making all things work out together because God is for us. Sometimes we don't feel that. Sometimes we don't see that. But we have got to ask for eyes of faith. We've got to go to God and say, God, I need to be able to see this. I need to be able to see you. And then to act, even though I may not feel it right now, to act like in a godly manner, to act like that God is for me, that he's working for me. God is working for me. It's okay to go to God and say, I don't feel it, I don't see it, I don't understand it, but I know you're there for me. You are there for me. This is why so many people cling to Jeremiah 29, 11 as a kind of a life verse, you know. For I know the plans I have for you, declares the Lord, plans to prosper you and not to harm you, plans to give you hope and a future that you will call on me and come and pray to me, and I will listen to you. You will seek me and find me when you seek me with all of, my, all of your heart. I will be found by you, declares the Lord. That's a great paragraph in the Bible. Very popular life verse. And we need to have that rattling around in our heads when it's difficult for us. Because some of us go through difficult things, Right? Whether you're going through it now, whether you've gone through it in the past, or whether it's coming in the future, we will go through difficult things, and we need something to hold on to. And the thing to hold on to is that God is for us. Romans 8, 31, what then shall we say in response to these things? If God is for us, who can be against us? He did not spare his own son, but gave him up for us all. How will he not also, along with him, graciously give us all things? So, God is for us to the extent that he did not spare his own son. He did not withhold his own son. That's what he had for you. Now, I have two sons. You can't have either one of them. You know what I'm saying? I'm gonna withhold my sons, you know what I'm saying? I'm not God. I'm not God. And some of you are going, thank the Lord, you know. But God did not spare his son. He gave Abraham a glimpse of this in Genesis 22. A very unusual story involving Abraham and his son Isaac. But I'm going to read it out of the complete Jewish Bible, okay? It's a, it's a little different. It's a Jewish uh, translation by David Stern. He wanted to translate stuff from a Jewish perspective, a Jewish mindset. Because we don't always understand the Old Testament because we come to it from a Caucasian mindset or, or an you know, American mindset versus a, a Jewish mindset. In Genesis 22, 1, it said, After these things, God tested, uh, and it says, Avraham, because they pronounce things differently. He said to Avraham, and he answered, Here am I. He said, Take your son, your only son, whom you love, uh, Yitchak, and go to the land of Moriah. There, you, will, uh, there you, will, you are to offer him as a burnt offering on the mountain that I will point out to you. Avraham got up in the middle of the morning, saddled his donkey, Took, his two, uh, took two of his young men with him, and together with Jitchak, he, his son, he cut the wood for the burnt offering, departed, and went toward the place God had told him about. On the third day, Avraham raised his eyes and saw the place in the distance. Avraham said to the young men, Stay here with the donkey. I and the boy will go there, worship, and return to you. Abraham took the, the wood and the burnt offering and laid it on Yitzhak, uh, his son, and he, he told us, uh, or then he took his hand, into his hand, the fire and the knife. In other words, he took with him a torch and a knife, and they both went together. Yitchak uh, spoke to Abraham, his father, My father, he, he answered, Here am I, my son, he said. I see the fire and the wood but where's the lamb for the burnt offering? Avraham replied, God will provide himself a lamb for the burnt offering, my son. And they both went on together. They came to a place God told him about, and Avraham built an altar there, set the wood in order, bound Yitchak, his son, and laid him on the altar on the wood. Something I couldn't do. Then Avraham put out his hand and took the knife to kill his son. But the angel of Adonai called out from heaven, Avraham, Avraham, he answered, Here am I. He said, and I lost my place, sorry. He said, do, Don't lay your hands on the boy. Don't do anything, anything to him, for now... I know that you're a man who fears God because you have not withheld your son, your only son, from me. Abraham raised his eyes and looked, and there behind him a ram caught in the bushes by its horns. Abraham went and took the ram and offered it as a burnt offering in place of a son. Abraham called the place Adonai Yeri, In other words, Adonai will see to it. Adonai provides. God provides. The Lord provides. And it's said to this day on the mountain Adonai is seen. Here we see the willingness of both the the heart of the Father to say, I love you so much, I will not withhold my Son from you. And this is God to us. He did not withhold His Son. A God who doesn't withhold anything from us. Like Jesus said, for God so loved the world that He gave His only Son. Son. 8.31, it says, What then shall we say in response to these things? If God is for us, who can be against us? He did not spare His own Son, but gave Him up for us all. How will He not also, along with Him, graciously give us all things? Here's the point. He gave us His Son already. So if He already gave you His Son, Don't you think he's willing to give you some other things? I mean, what compares to giving us his son? So God's already given his son, so you don't have to beg God to give you good things. It's good to go to God and ask. You know, (laughs) this last week I was almost a little frustrated after I got home. Brandon was being a little toot. You know, we went to... Legoland and the zoo and some other stuff and then driving home uh, there was a big accident on the grapevine so uh, we saw on a big sign that said a 90 or 80 minute delay and we're like why don't we just go eat somewhere so we you know found a restaurant and Lisa's like Brandon's been so good because we started out early in the morning because in LA they were having a thing for cars three that we went by so you know so we're we're talking about we left it like at 10 a.m. and and got home at 9 p.m. okay so I mean it was a long day uh, being in the car and going and doing some stuff so at least it's like well why don't we you know right next to the place we're eating brandon's been so good why don't we go to toys r us and and get him a toy or something and we're like i'm like ah, more money you know being typical dad so we we go and do that and then we get home and we're trying to unload and he's being a little toot you know and just and i i finally i, I finally said something like I'm just going to get all the crap that we bought him this over this past week and lay it all out so he can look at it so he can understand. You know, sometimes we're like that with God. God's given us a lot of good things, and here we are like pouting about it. Here we are going, well, I want this or I want to do that. You know what? We need to know that God's going to provide for us. If God gave you a son, I think he can find you a mate if you're looking for a mate. Keep praying. If God gave you a son, I think he can find you a job. If you need a job, keep praying about it. If God gave you a son, I think he can help you with your health. Pray about it. If God gave you a son, I think he can take care of you. And this is what Jesus is trying to tell us during the Sermon on the Mount. He basically said, why are you so worried every day? Look in the air. I mean, look at the birds for Pete's sake. Okay, he didn't say it like that, but you know what I'm saying. He loves you more than the birds. Look at the flowers. He loves you more than the flowers. Why are you wasting your time worrying about it? You know, I think Simon Peter was a bit of a warrior, you know? He was there when Jesus preached this. Then in 2 Peter 1.3, he writes, His divine power has given us everything we need for a godly life, though, through our knowledge of Him who called us by His glory and goodness. I think Peter finally got it. Romans Back to, to Romans 8.31, What then shall we say in response to these things? If God is for us, who can be against us? He did not spare His own Son, but gave him up for us all. How how will he not also along with him graciously give us all things? And then, by the way, we're going to be standing before God in verse 33, and verse 33 says, who will bring any charge against those whom God has chosen? So we're standing before God, and God's going, who brings the charge? Because God's the one that justifies He's the advocate, and he's the judge. Who's going to bring a case against you? Jesus is the advocate. The Holy Spirit is the intercessor. The devil doesn't have a chance. He's going to come, and he's going to accuse you. And if you're foolish enough to interact with him, which is really a dumb thing, you know, just ignore him, don't even talk to him, recognize it, but don't, don't interact with him, everyone knows that you've been awful, right? Right? I mean, look at someone near you and say, you're, you're just an awful person. Wait, ladies, hold on. This is Father's Day. Think about it first. The point is that Jesus is there to be your representative. He's there to be your patient, I mean payment. He's there to be your advocate. And the Holy Spirit is making it all happen. And the devil doesn't have a chance. If we could just learn this here and now. Most of the time, the enemy is ourselves. You know, we just got to forgive ourselves for the things that we've done. We go to God and we ask God for forgiveness and God says, I forgive you. And then we hold on to it and we won't forgive ourselves. We need to forgive ourselves. This is the one thing that the devil will do uh, that uses to hold you back, to restrain you from having peace, to restrain you from having joy. You remember what you did. Oh, you remember And he just brings it up over and over. And you can say, you know what? I do remember that, but Jesus has already forgiven me for that. That's our response. I've already been forgiven. I know my future. I know my future. See, good religion says that uh, one day, even though I don't deserve it, I will stand before the judge and he will say, enter into heaven. Enter into heaven. And we will enter into eternity. And he, didn't, you know, he who didn't withhold his son will not withhold eternity from you. Verse 34, it says, Who, the, who then is the one who condemns? No one. Christ Jesus has died. More than that, who, has, who was raised to life is at the right hand of God and who is interceding for us. Man, do you notice how many times... I mean, this is great. Romans 8 has taught us that the Father is for us. The Son is for us, and is interceding for us, and the Spirit is for us, and is interceding for us. Father, Romans 8.31, if God is for us, who can be against us? The Son, Romans 8.34, who then is the one who condemns? No one. Christ Jesus, who died more than that, who was raised to life, is at the right hand of God, and is also interceding for us. And then the Spirit, in verse 26, in the same way the Spirit helps us in our weakness... We do not know what we ought to pray for, but the Spirit Himself intercedes for us through wordless groans. Wow! All three of them are for us, and they're interceding for us. The writer of Hebrews puts it like this in Hebrews 7.25. Therefore, He is able to save completely those who, who come to God through Him, because He always lives to intercede for them. Wow! Wow! Romans 8.35 says, Who shall separate us from the love of Christ? Shall trouble or hardship or persecution or famine or nakedness or danger or sword? You see, all these things that happen in our life should push us toward God. Don't let these things push us away from God. Let them push you toward God. Why? Because He's for us. God is for us. Verse 36, as it is written, for your sake we face death all day long. We are considered as sheep to be slaughtered. No, in all these things we are more than conquerors for those who loved us. And I'm going to end with this today. It's the word uh, hyper uh, And this is where we, you know, Nike, this is where we get to the word, you know, Nike means victory. You know, we were wearing Nikes. So you You know, that's the whole thing. It's supposed to be victory, and hyper means above and beyond. We are hyper Nikes, so you can dunk better than Jordan. So, I mean, um, we are super Christians. We are above and beyond. So we don't do what? Well, it says here, for I'm convinced in verse 38 that neither death nor life, nor angels nor demons, neither the present, uh, present nor the future, nor any powers, neither height nor death, nor anything else in all of creation will be able to separate us from the love of God that is in Christ Jesus our Lord. So we don't have to be what? We do not have to be afraid. Don't be afraid in this life. Ever. Ever. God already sees you in heaven. Get that mindset as you live out your life here on this earth and then live according to that. Amen? Amen. Why don't you stand and rise and we'll pray as the worship team comes and ends us for the day. Lord, we, uh, sometimes we get down on ourselves or we allow other people to get down on us and we just stay in that mode. We stay in the mode that where we feel sorry for ourselves about what's going on in life. When you want us to be super Christians, you want us to be in the whole mindset of that you are for us. I can do this life. I can live this. I can get through this situation because I know that you are for me. I pray that you get that into our heads this week. You get that into our heads this month and, and the rest of this year. That you are for us so I can accomplish great things in this life. Because I know who backs me up. I know who intercedes for me. I know who prays for me. I know who is cheering me on. And that is you, God, because you are for me. May the Lord bless you and keep you. May the Lord's face shine down upon you, and may you realize how much He's for you this week. In the name of the Father, Son, and Holy Spirit, amen.